0: Hey, I want to thank you for checking out uh, the sermons at Coastal Community Church online, and uh, we are really happy to make these available to you uh, for your spiritual nourishment. But one of the things we have a deep conviction of is that we hope that these sermons are a supplement to your spiritual growth, but also a supplement to you having a home church. And so if uh, you do not live in this area, we would really encourage you uh, to join with a local church where you can serve the Lord together alongside of other believers. Uh, If you don't have a local church and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to have you check out Coastal Community Church. We have uh, three services, uh, 815, 945, and 1115, and we'd love for you to join us at one of those services. Good morning. It is great to see you. How many of y'all still feel like you're on spring break? Me too, right? So uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Do me a favor. We're starting a new series this morning, and uh, there's a handout in your bulletin, and I want want you to get that out. Follow along with me. We're starting a new series. We're going through uh, the letter of Hebrews, and so uh, we're going to... probably park there for much of the summer, believe it or not. From now on the end of the summer, we're going to unpack this book. I'll dive into that in a minute, but you can follow along in your handout. Uh, So let me encourage you to get that out and then um, uh, turn there in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you because that's our gift to you from Coastal Community Church. And on that Bible, it's actually on page 727 while you're turning there and getting ready for the sermon this morning. Just a couple quick updates that I want to give you. Our 100 terrorist team got back late yesterday, so thank you for your prayers. Yeah, and they had a, they had a wonderful time. Yeah, two people clapping like, oh, well, they got back, whatever, but third world country. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for going, and, pray, and those of you have been praying, thank you for that. And they, they got back, and I, I know they'll have some great stories to tell. Uh, I wanted to update you on the receiving of the Gloucester property. We voted over 99% to receive that property, so uh, all that means is we're going to keep moving forward. Now, there's some legal pieces to take care of, and, and we should, uh, God willing, uh, receive that property over the coming weeks, okay? And and then we'll pray about how to use that for kingdom purposes to spread the fame of Christ. And and one of our goals eventually is to have a campus up in the Gloucester area. So just keep praying. I know that's exciting. And then I know you guys are excited to move into your new location. And uh, uh, there's a part of me that's like, I can't wait to be there so I don't have to talk about it every week, okay? Um, And so I'm excited about that. But I do want to keep you up to date. We're getting there. We are targeting. April 24th, but I'm going to be really honest with you. There's some parts of this that are out of our control, meaning inspections from the county and things like that. So there may be a middle of a week where you get an email that says next week. Okay, we're meeting at the new building. It's really going to go like that. And so, uh, but we're trying to get there on the 24th. If that doesn't happen, we'll let you know on the 20 sometime during that week. We're meeting here, and uh, so you just need to be flexible. And that's why we've called it a soft opening because we just it's it's out of our control in some regards or things in our control, things out. Of our control. And so, uh, but thank you for those you've been giving your time. And really, almost every Saturday between now and the month of April, you can come up and volunteer some time and get us ready for our opening service. And then we'll do our grand opening uh, in September. Okay. Does that make sense? Everybody with me, be flexible on that regard. I don't know about you, you know, my, uh, you know, if your house caught on fire, okay, and let's assume that your house catches on fire and everybody that's important to you, or let's say just everybody, everybody is safe, okay, and and the pets are safe and uh and you had an opportunity to go into your house and and retrieve one thing one last thing that was important to you you know i again all the people all the pets are saved. what would you go after would you run back in that house and, and take and re- say, man, this is important. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you young people don't realize this. When I was a kid, you were always told if your house burns down, you know, after the people are saved, get the pictures, right? Because you, there was no way to store pictures like there are now digitally. And so, you know, so maybe it would be something like that, a you know, painting or, or something that, you know, you could never retrieve again. This morning is the beginning of a series that, man, I am excited to preach. And I know uh, when I say we're going to park here for a while, some of you go, "Really? You know, all summer." But uh, the, the, I've chosen this this letter intentionally for this summer. And 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 what I want you to leave each week with, and I hope you'll see out of this text, is to value Jesus Christ above all else. He—he's If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Jesus Christ needs to be your ultimate value. If you were running back into the burning building, it's one thing you grab. It should be Jesus Christ above all else is that we're clinging to Christ. And one of the things we're going to see throughout this series is that the author of Hebrews over and over and over is trying to get the recipients of this letter to, to, to see that Jesus Christ is greater than all else. And say, he sets up a series of things that people sometimes elevate as greater than Christ. And he sets out to prove, no, Jesus is greater than that, and here's why, okay? And so that's where we are this morning. And so this morning, Hebrews chapter 1, he, the, the author is setting out that Jesus is greater than the angels, Okay, because a lot of times we, we, we set up angels, right? We, we live in this culture, and we're going to kind of conclude with that. Now, this journey that we're going to take together, let me give you a little bit of context. Okay, just a little bit, all right? The letter is written probably to converted Jews. They're written to some Jews that had converted from Judaism, hence the name Hebrews, to Christianity, and now they're facing persecution, for their faith, which I think in our culture, man, it's just hard to get our head around that. I want, I want you to just imagine that, that maybe your stuff is being seized or you or someone you love is being carted off to prison, not because you've broken a law per se, but because you're a worshiper of Jesus Christ. I and mean, it's hard for us to even fathom. In the fact, there's, there's more of that going on in the world today than at any point in the history of Christianity. I don't know if you know that and you're aware of that the persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. And so these Jews that had converted from Judaism to Christianity are now being persecuted and they're now questioning, is this should I really be believing in Jesus Christ? Is this where I should park my belief system? And, and it's easy to throw stones at them and go, well, of course, Jesus is greater than. But when you realize they're being persecuted, it does make you pause and go, man, well, how, how would I handle this? That's why Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, which we'll get to later, you know, Hebrews 11 sets up two groups of people. There's people that pursued God and they got received all the blessings of God, earthly blessings even. They were wealthy and things were great for them. And then there was people that pursued God and they got sawn in two, okay? And, and so which is it for us as we do? We don't know necessarily. But both of those groups pursued Christ, pursued God in Christ wholeheartedly. So we're going to cover this book in its entirety over the next couple months. And each year I try to choose a book of the Bible and we park there for a while. And I know there's probably two groups of people in this room. There's one group going, "We're going to be here all summer," you know, really. And and then there's another group's like, "You know, you really didn't go deep enough for me." Okay. And so and so those are the challenges I face. And so uh, there's going to be some verses I, I go past just because. Of of time, okay? I, really, you could spend years in any one letter or, or one book of the Bible. For those of you who are like, man, I wish we would go deeper, okay? I'm going to give you a resource. Actually, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to sell it to you, okay? But I'm selling it to you at our cost, okay? Um, out at the Connect Center, if you're one of the ones that go, man, I really want to read more about this letter, uh, we are going to be selling you John MacArthur's New Testament commentary on Hebrews, okay? And I would just encourage, I'm going to be leaning heavily into this commentary, all right? I, there's several others, and maybe you're here to like, what's a commentary? Okay. A commentary is a a human being that commentates or writes about the book of the Bible. Okay. And just gives us some further insights. And so maybe you can glean from these. They're at the Connect Center. Uh, We're selling them at our cost, which is $16. Okay. So uh, if, if you're in that camp, like, man, I wish we'd spend more time. You can spend some more time on your own. Okay. And, um, And so the second reason, I so I I really wanted to dive into this book uh, over the summer, but uh, another reason that I I chose this letter intentionally for us as a church over the course of this late spring, uh, actually it feels like early spring, and uh, into the summer, okay, is as we move, and you guys know this, I, you know, we're moving into a new building, and the building is a tool to do ministry, all right? And one of the challenges that, that we, I fear that we will face is that, and again, I've already told you, I'm sick of talking about the new building. I talk about it because I want to keep you guys in the loop, but man, there's a part of me that wants to put it behind us so that we can focus on what we do, okay? And my fear is as we move forward, is a new location become a distraction or disunifying or even an idol. And what I want for us is the body of Christ is to keep be focused above all else on Jesus Christ. And this letter will remind us week in and week out that Jesus Christ is why we exist as a church. Jesus Christ is greater than all. All else, and so yeah, that's why over the course of this transition, I thought, man, we are going to park in Hebrews. Now, a couple things that you can do to prepare yourself for this series. All right, number one, you can read the book of Hebrews. All right, and I would encourage you to spend some time reading it, and maybe even get a journal out as you're reading. Journal, you know, journaling. As I I like to write down things that stick out to me. That's all. It's nothing, you know, uh, crazy, but just as you write, you go, man, that really sticks out to me. Write down why that stuck out to you. Thirteen chapters. Okay, so you could certainly if you pick the chapter a day, you'd read it in under two weeks. I would also encourage you, for those of you who are overachievers, to really understand the book of Hebrews, you have to understand the Pentateuch, because this is written to Jewish Christians, okay? Who And that's part of what the author's talking about, is the early foundations of Judaism and how that points to Christ, okay? And so you have to understand the Pentateuch. If you're like, what's the Pentateuch? That's the first five books of the Bible, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? And really spend some time there. I've been spending time in the Pentateuch, and it helps, this, it helps connect the New Testament and the Old Testament together, okay? So I would encourage you over the summer, read those five books of the Bible, okay? So, so with that, let's jump in to Hebrews chapter one. You ready? I've set it up long enough. Here we go, Hebrews chapter one. The book of Hebrews makes two very important assumptions that it doesn't even try to defend, All right. It just assumes two things about God, Uh, and so let's 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 take a moment here and talk about the assumptions of the Book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one, verse one and two. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, and now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. Now, two assumptions. Let's work backwards on these two assumptions that the author of Hebrews gives to us. And by the way, the author of Hebrews is, is somewhat unknown to us, okay? And that's a whole study in and of itself, all right? And, and I could throw out the different possibilities and where I come down, but in some regards, it doesn't matter, okay? It's inspired by the Holy Spirit um, through, through the pen of a man, all right? So, uh, so what does the Hebraic author assume? First of all, he assumes God as creator, Okay, This is an assumption of Hebrews, that that God creates and he created through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, if you've heard me preach any over the last probably six months, I've probably hit on this multiple times, this idea that the Bible nowhere defends God as creator. It's assumed. And, and it's assumed that because we exist and our existence is incredible and it's intricate and the earth is, is suited to our existence, it's assumed that you understand, man, that, that it just all showed up here somehow. how to it get here? Well, it's assumed that you understand it got here by a creator, now, some of you are gonna, you know, if you're investigating the claims of Christ this morning, you're investigating claims of Christianity, or maybe, maybe you're a high school senior and you're about to go away to college. Okay, this is going to be attacked quickly. Ah, I've got you. It's a leap of faith. It's an irrational leap of faith. Is, is how that's going to be attacked. And it, and, and so what you're going to be told is that this intricate cosmos, got here randomly through chance. Now, I've kind of attacked this from the other angle at, at different servants about how almost impossible, mathematically impossible this is. But I want to talk about, this morning I want to talk about inference, the idea of inference, that you can infer things from what's around you. And that inference is, is actually a natural and normal way that we do our lives. Now, uh, here's my first illustration on that. And my daughter actually, came, as I was writing the sermon, my daughter came home with this from school. And you're going to see her brilliance here in a minute. She got a 93 on a unit test, all right? I know, she's brilliant. I'm sorry. Don't think less of your children. Um, so. <laughs> Unit 3, Week 3, Inference Assessment. It's an English course where she was taught that you can infer certain things from stories and that there is a right and wrong answer to be inferred from the story. I'm going to read you the story. Tommy, mom called out as she walked through the front door. Tommy, she continued shouting. I, I sure could use some help with these groceries there was still no reply. Mom walked in the kitchen. She put the grocery bags down on the counter when she noticed shattered glass from the picture window all over the living room floor and a baseball not far from there. Tommy, you're going to be in so much trouble, mom yelled to herself as she realized Tommy's shoes were gone. Now, there are several questions here that my brilliant daughter had to answer that had to be inferred from the story. You're going you're gonna to see how, how incredibly smart she is in just a moment. Question number one, what happened to the window? Well, guess what? The story doesn't tell us what happened to the window, does it? Now, your mind pieced some things together. You inferred it immediately, didn't you? My my brilliant daughter wrote, Tommy accidentally threw the ball into the window. Brilliant, right? Isn't she brilliant? I just love her. Next question, how do you know that? Well, the mom walks in, sees the glass, sees the baseball, and, and, and that the baseball has gone through the window. She's able to infer that Tommy has thrown the baseball through the window. Question number two, why did Tommy leave? Now, as I read this question, I realized, hey, that question is inferred in the story. Nowhere does it say that Tommy left. How do we know that Tommy left? Because his shoes were gone, right? And so his shoes were gone. So, and so, um, so my daughter, in all her brilliance, wrote, why did Tommy leave? He didn't want to get in trouble, right? Checkmark, another great answer, right? Another great answer. And she finished with question four. What in this text supports this description? It says when. It, it, how do we know Tommy left? Because he didn't want to get in trouble. Because he 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 left because he knew that by throwing the ball through the window he would get in trouble. Check mark. Four great answers inferred from the story. Isn't that great? Isn't she brilliant? Nobody's clapping for my daughter. Anyway, I will. Okay, she may be in one of these services. Yes, she's brilliant. <laughs> on inference, right? No, none of those answers were in the story, but they were inferred from the story. Yet we live in a culture and we live in a world that if you look around at the incredible nature, the intricacy of creation, and you say, well, there has to be a creator. There has to be a God. Hebrews assumes it. And it's all throughout Scripture to like that's a normal thing that you should see from the story, the story of your life, the story of your body, in fact, I don't know if you remember the last time I, I talked about this, I actually had pneumonia, and I woke up that morning with 103 fever, and I said, man, the body is actually trying to bake this virus out of me. Isn't that amazing? You know, I mean, it's amazing how this works. And we should be able to infer, man, God, there is a God, and he's a creator. Uh, let me give you two quick things. Did you know that the human heart, your, your heart in a lifetime pumps eight 100 million times without wearing out. Think about that. Uh, we, we can't create something. We can't build a pump, if you will, that works as efficiently and effectively as the human heart. In fact, uh, so we're not gross. If we were to try to build a pump that pumped as much liquid or blood is the human heart. Okay. So if I were to take the human heart and I'd say, how much blood does it pump over the lifetime? And let's just make it water. So it's not gross. And we took a pump and we built that pump. That pump would pump enough liquid to fill a huge tractor trailer tanker. And if we stack those tankers end to end, those tractor trailer tankers would stretch from New York to Boston nonstop. That's how efficient and effective your heart is. And your brain, your your brain has the ability to store a lifetime of memory in in a mass as small as a half inch. That half inch mass, made out of cells, mind you, made out of something that returns to the dust when you die, is able to store your entire lifetime of memories. Isn't that incredible? That's, That's the human body. And yet... If we infer from that that there's an intelligent design, that there's a creator, we're the ones labeled as taking a leap of faith. Hebrews assumes that there's a God. The cosmos. Okay, so let's go from the human being to the cosmos. Did you know that the moon is 211,000 miles away? Just the moon. And if you were to walk to the moon, it would take you 27 years to travel, walk from here to the moon. Now, A ray of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. It's the speed of light. So if you were, instead of walking 27 years to get to the moon, if if you could travel the speed of light, it would take you one and a half seconds to get to the moon. All right? If you could travel that fast. If you were to <clears throat> travel at the speed of light, it would take you two minutes and 18 seconds to reach Venus, four and a half minutes to reach Mercury, an hour, uh, one hour and 11 seconds to reach Saturn. And if you were to go to our furthest planet in our own solar system, which is 2.7 billion miles from Earth, it would take you approximately, if you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you approximately four hours. All right, 27 miles to walk to the moon, but if you could speed up your ability to travel, it would take you four hours to get to the end of our solar system. The next closest solar system to us, our neighboring solar system, if you could travel at the speed of light, which is a hundred, essentially 190,000 miles per second, if you could travel that fast, it would take you four and a quarter light years traveling at the speed of light to get to our closest neighboring solar system of which we think there's maybe an infinite number of those to get our heads around. The solar system is so vast and expanding and huge. And we have to ask the question, where where does it all come from? And who conceived it and who made it? And I proposed to you this morning, it wasn't made by accident. And the author of Hebrews takes it a step further and reminds us, hey, this all that was made was made by God through his agent, his own son, Jesus Christ. Is the maker of it all. Isn't that incredible? The second thing that Hebrews assumes is that God actually speaks. Our God speaks. He, he, he supernat- the supernatural breaks into the natural and speaks to mankind. It implies that the creator God cares, and he's intimate, and he hasn't left us to our own. Our God speaks to his creation. In fact, Hebrews 1 and 2, the author tells us that, uh, in in fact, we're only going to look at uh, four or five verses this morning because the rest of the chapter is actually the author using the Old Testament to remind us of Christ, how the Old Testament points to Christ, But the author reminds us that that God spoke in many ways. If you read your Old Testament, he spoke in dreams and visions and prophets, but now he's spoken in Christ, and the words of Christ have been canonized in the Scriptures, affirmed by the Scriptures. And verses 5 through 13 authenticates the the ministry of Christ by quoting the Old Testament. But our God speaks, and his ultimate fulfillment, which we're going to look at in just a moment, came through his son Jesus Christ. That's why he's greater than The second thing I want you to see is the author says, in these last days, in these last days, how do we know we're in the last days? A lot of people go crazy with this, okay? We've been in the last days since Jesus walked the earth. How do we know? The author of Hebrews tells us that. In these last days, God spoke through his son, Jesus Christ. Why are we in the last days? Because God showed up in flesh, For the last 2,000 years, we've been in the final days. And how many more days we have, I don't know. I always say the Bible teaches that the return of Christ is imminent. It can come at any time. But it could be a ways away, too, because every tribe, tongue, and nation has to hear the gospel of Christ until Jesus returns again. And so we live somewhere in these tensions. And in these last days, God spoke through his son, Jesus Christ. And two things are clear about Jesus Christ. He is both creator and he is heir. Okay, these are your two blanks. He is both creator and he is heir. He's the creator. We're going to look at more closely in a second, and he's the heir. This speaks to the idea that God is doing all that all that God possesses, all that God is doing, everything about God's kingdom is now granted to His Son Jesus Christ. Now, before you go, oh, what does that mean? Here's the amazing thing about Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus, because he's generous, is going to share his inheritance with us. Isn't that incredible? We get a cut of all that is granted to Christ because of the gospel. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done, because it is finished. And in Christ, when we bow a knee and, and, and trust Jesus as Savior by grace through faith, we share in the inheritance of God's Son, who has inherited all things. By the way, let me do a side note here, okay? I want to make sure you understand this, because this gets confusing. There have been entire cults that have been formed off this false idea, Okay? Whenever you read the term in your Bible, Son of God, or you come across the term firstborn, okay, a lot of people take that to say, well, see, Jesus had a beginning. He was born. He was the firstborn. He's the Son of God. So he had a beginning. And if that is true, then Jesus ceases to be deity. Then the Trinity is separated because they're not three equal gods, but and really essentially God. Now there's a functional order inside the Trinity, okay? But there's not, but not in personhood. Jesus is eternal just as God the Father is eternal. So what what does it mean when we come across the term firstborn or son of God, okay? The idea of firstborn is not chronological. You should write that down. That's good stuff, okay? The idea of firstborn is not chronological. It's a legal understanding of inheritance. It's a legal understanding of authority. Jesus has been given the inheritance or the authority. God has now given to him all the things of the kingdom, both finally and eternally. It's not a chronological term, and that's where we misunderstand it. That's why, again, if you read your Pentateuch, it's very important. You'll see how the firstborn son always inherits, inherits the bulk of the father's blessings to him. He gets a blessing, and he gets the inheritance. It's a legal idea. And so when it's used in the New Testament, somehow we've, we've twisted that and so, said, well, Jesus had a beginning point. No, he didn't have a, his earthly ministry, his taking on a flesh had a beginning point, but he's eternal God. Does that make sense? And so when we see firstborn, it's the idea of legal. He receives all the, all the kingdom of God has been given to him. And so there's no misunderstanding here. The author of Hebrews makes it very, very clear, the deity of Christ. He doesn't want there to be any misunderstanding. And then we see this in verse three, the deity of Christ. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by his mighty power of his command. Jesus reflects the glory of God. Jesus reflects God's glory. Jesus radiates God to us. Now, again, these, the recipients of this letter would have understood, they would have remembered the Pentateuch. They would have remembered Exodus 33, where Moses was told, nobody can see God and what? Anybody know? Nobody can see God and live, right? So whenever you hear somebody telling us that, man, you you know, they received, you know, they saw God, that's a terrifying thing. Exodus 33 says nobody can. In fact, when Moses asked to just see a little bit of God, God said, I'll tell you what, I'm, you know, you're gonna see the bat you're just gonna see my glory because there's a consuming side of God's character and God's nature. But but Jesus is the expression of God on earth. He is one with the Father. Which, by the way, just to take you back to Resurrection Sunday, I, I made this very clear in our teaching on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, right out of John chapter 10, where Jesus taught, the Father and I are one. This idea that he is deity is what got him killed by the Jews. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're not stoning you for any work, but for what? What's it say? blasphemy. Why? You're claiming to be God. You can't do that. You're a mere man and you claim to be God. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding these Hebrew followers of Christ that Jesus radiates the glory of God. Why? Because he's stamped in God's nature. Jesus is stamped in God's nature. Jesus is the perfect imprint of God. I want you to think about this for a minute because I think we lose sight of this, especially when we're going through difficult times, which these people were. Maybe you are this morning. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. We think, well, I wonder what God would do if, you know, he ran out of money. I wonder what God would do if he was suffering in his body the way my body is. So I wonder what, how God, I wonder what, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. I got really good news for you. We know. Why do we know? We can look at Jesus. He... This, if you ever wondered what God would do here on earth, we look at Jesus. He's the perfect imprint. He's the perfect representation. He perfectly expresses the character of God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Then if you ever wonder, what would God do? You read your Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what God would do. He did it perfectly. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, to make sure we understand that Jesus is not an addition to God, but literally God incarnate. He is deity. Jesus Christ upholds the universe. By the way, this this shows us a, a Savior that's intimately involved with our creation. Everything about your ability to have life right now is because Jesus is upholding it and allowing it. Think about that. The next breath that you're about to take, according to Hebrews, is because Jesus is upholding the universe actively right now. See, I want you to leave here this week and over the course of the weeks just going, Wow, well, Jesus is just great. Like everything, everything has to do with God's son Jesus Christ. The, the temperature of the sun is is twelve thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Now that's warm. Okay. Did you know that if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we would burn up, or if we were just a little bit further away, our our, our globe would freeze. If our glo- if the Earth was just tilted just a little bit off of its twenty three degree angle, if it just tilted a little bit, if it tilted one way, we would we the the oceans would vaporize. And if it tilted a little bit the other way, we'd, we'd, we, our planet would freeze. We, be, it would be like ice flows in and out of the ocean. We, life would not sustain here. Did you know that if the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, that the ocean tides would inundate the land completely twice a day? I just got done reading Job. Job's kind of frustrated with God. Things in life aren't going very well. And God ends with a series of questions. One of the questions is who, who told Job? Tell me, how how did you boundary off the ocean exactly, Job? Right? Why was why was God able to ask Job that? Because His Son intimately sustains that for us via creation, via active involvement. If the ocean floors were just a few feet deeper, then the perfect carbon dioxide, oxygen balance in Earth's atmosphere would be completely upset and there would be no animal or plant life. If the atmosphere did not remain at its present density, but thinned out even just a little bit, many of the meteors that burn up in our atmosphere and are harmless would would hit our or bombard our, our little planet suspended here in space. And so the question is, how does all this stay delicately balanced so that you get to breathe and you get to worship this morning, you get to go to work tomorrow, and you get to raise a family, you get to leave a heritage, and you get to pass on the faith? How does all this work together? It's because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is presently active in creation, keeping it all together. Isn't that incredible? I hope it makes you worship him this morning. You know, many of our founding fathers actually were deists. I don't know if you know what that means. A lot of times, this is that time of year, right, where uh, the next six months we're just going to hear about the founding fathers, the founding fathers, right? And there's going to be a lot of proclamation about the founding fathers that aren't entirely true our founding fathers were actually most most of them were deist and what that means is they were they looked at creation and they did conclude that there was intelligent design that god there was a god but they didn't believe that god was intimately involved he was kind of he wound up the watch if you will and then the watch is kind of on its own some of our founding fathers went through the scriptures and cut out any, anything in the Bible that had a, 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 the supernatural attached to it. There's a, there's a great book out actually called The Religious Beliefs of Our Founding Fathers by Greg Fraser. If you guys are interested, read that. Now, the pic, that's not the picture of the God of the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews. No, the picture here is, is Jesus is involved, and he's loving, and he's caring, and he's sustaining. This God, the God of the Bible, is not a distant God that's disinterested in you. The God of the Bible is interested in you. He's caring. He's intimately involved. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says in and when he cleansed us from our sins, he gets even more intimate. So it's not, not just, uh, I'm caring about the universe, man. I'm caring about your sin problem. And when he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave him is greater than their names. Jesus is finished and Jesus is superior. That's what the author's telling us. Jesus cleansed us from our sins. Jesus cleansed us from our sins, which, uh, and by the way, this is the bulk of the rest of this letter talks about that. Okay, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time there this morning, but uh, of all the works of Christ creating and sustaining, saving us from the penalty of our sins will be highlighted throughout this letter as the high point of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why the cross is so foolish to those who are not believers, but to those who understand the incredible work of our Savior, you can't help, as, as Joel kind of pointed out during his song, that you can't help but worship. 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He's paid for our sin. And now he does the work of a high priest. The work of our high priest, however, is finished. That's why he says he sat down, okay? And, and again, this is why you need to know your Pentateuch. I've been, I've been reading through Leviticus, okay? And, and I know you, some of you are like, well, you know, like reading through Leviticus, but as you read through Leviticus and you couple that with the finished work of our high priest, like the Levit- Leviticus priest's job was exhausting, okay? They were always sacrificed and just endless, okay? And you realize, oh, Jesus finished all that for us, and he's now seated, all right? And so there's no more working or earning on our behalf. There's no more regular animal sacrifices. There's nothing greater or better that God could have done for us that He hasn't already done in Christ. And sitting down, a whole other sermon, okay, but I want to give you four things it implies, okay? I could could preach four sermon points here. It means that He sits in the highest place of honor. That's what the Hebrew Hebrew author is teaching us. He sits in the highest place of authority. Jesus is now in authority. He rests in his finished work and he's actively or he sits interceding on our behalf. That's what Jesus is doing. He's interceding on our behalf. And then finally, the Hebrew author finishes with this. Jesus is superior over the angels. So he's telling these people that they're, they're being persecuted, they're wondering, they're faith in doubt, and so and maybe they're wondering about the angels, right? And by the way, I suspect for most of you in this room, this, this probably is obvious. Of course, Jesus is greater than the angels, you know? I want to tell you something, especially in the 90s, I don't know how you, or the early 2000s, we went through the season as a culture where angels were like lifted up as great. You know, some maybe, of so maybe you have an angel on your dashboard or whatever. I mean, I see that a lot. Of, oh, this is my angel of whatever. I'll tell you something, Jesus is superior to the angels. You don't need an angel on your dashboard, you have the God, the God man, Jesus Christ, whose work is finished. And by the way, just so you know, like an angel's not a cute little pet, all right? Like, oh, he's so cute. You know, every time an angel is seen in, in, in Scripture by a human being, they are terrified, and they fall at their feet. And if you read the uh, uh, Revelation, where John keeps falling down at the feet of angels, they're like, no, not me, not me, not me. No. Like, the, the man tends to worship at the feet of angels, and then Hebrews is telling us, Jesus is greater than the angels. So if you're terrified at the angel, uh, you know, you're worshiping at the feet of angel, and the angel goes, no, 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 don't, don't worship me, don't worship me. You know, we worship our, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is superior. And, and the rest of the chapter is Old Testament quotes that show us why Jesus. And you can read that this afternoon on, when you get home. And while angels capture our imagination, Jesus is superior. I want to I leave you with this quote this morning, and I want to close with prayer. And I hope you, my goal this morning was for you to just leave with, with a little bit of wonder and awe at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is a quote that I took out of this commentary that we have for you if you choose to purchase it, John MacArthur. And here's what he said. He said, some have said that Jesus Christ came from the bosom of the father to the bosom of a woman. And he put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became son of man that we might become sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature, lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born. And that was in his childhood. He had no wealth or influence and had neither training nor education in the world's schools. "'His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. "'In his infancy, he startled a king. "'In his boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. "'In his manhood, he ruled the course of nature. "'He walked on upon the billows, and he hushed the sea to sleep. "'He healed the multitudes without medicine "'and made no charge for his services. "'He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the world "'could not hold all the books about him.' He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine and yet all he has and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, and the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him, Satan could not seduce him, death could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. Greater than is Jesus Christ, I hope that your heart will be captured in worship of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I confess that it's so easy for me to come in this room and find so many other things greater than the worries of work, the concern of finances, Bringing up our children, my health, the government, politics, safety, security, peace on earth. The list goes on and on and on that spin my mind up. And this morning is a great reminder that you hold the heavens in place. You're greater than. And my heart this morning is just captivated in worship of you, Jesus Christ. And Father, we are thankful that we are now your children because of the work of Christ, our high priest, who is seated and interceding on our behalf. And so, Heavenly Father, we worship you for your plan. We thank you for your Son. And our heart's affections are captured by your Son with worship and praise, thanksgiving. And we rest in the knowledge that Jesus cares for us and He's in control. He's sustaining it all. And he's working it all together. Weaving together a tapestry to bring our Heavenly Father greatest glory, greatest praise. And our lives are a part of that. And so we give Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, Praise, honor, and glory. Because he's greater than. It's in Christ's name.